0: Bible, would you like to turn please to Colossians chapter 4? Colossians chapter 4, um, if you have one of the church Bibles, that's page 1184. Just to read a few verses found there in Colossians 4, reading from verse 2. Colossians 4, verse 2. Paul writes this, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And this is the word of God. You see, there was a church at a place called Colossae. Colossae was an important trading center that was situated in the Lycus River Valley in Asia Minor. It actually hadn't been founded, this church, by Paul himself, but by a student of his called Epaphras. In fact, Paul had never been to this place. All the information he'd received about it came from Epaphras. having studied under Paul in Ephesus, had gone out to plant that church in Colossae. And he had now returned to find Paul under house arrest, awaiting trial. And during those visits with Paul, Epaphras was able to tell him how the gospel had been successfully planted in that city, and how the church had flourished. But he also shared with Paul how a number of people had come into that church and had started to question whether Epaphras had actually told them the whole truth. And these new teachers who were coming into this church at Colossae were carrying certain cultural baggage that had serious implications for the good news that Epaphras had declared the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus alone. One of the groups that had come into that church came from the Jewish tradition of rules and regulations. And they told those new believers Epaphras had got it wrong. Faith in Jesus wasn't sufficient in and of itself, no, they needed to strictly follow their Jewish rulebook as well. The other group had been influenced by the mystery religions that were particularly popular in the Roman Empire. And these folks were teaching that you needed particular experiences to supplement what you had in Christ. Christ alone was not sufficient. It was Christ plus these experiences that they espoused. And so Epaphras had shared these problems with Paul. So in responding to this, Paul writes to them. He writes a letter. We have just read part of that letter. And Paul emphasizes that when you have Jesus Christ, you have all you could ever possibly need Or desire. And so in this letter, he lifts Jesus up. He exquisitely speaks of the worth and the majesty of Jesus. And he reminds these Colossian believers that they are united to Christ. And when you're in Christ, you have everything that you could ever possibly want or need. And the letter reaches its climax and application with these somewhat surprising words, which we've just read from chapter 4, verse 2. Paul writes, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. That's really quite strange in the context of the whole letter. Why? Why should this be the application? Why is there this strong emphasis from Paul on devoting yourselves to prayer. In fact, in the Greek word uh, that's used here, it has a very strong sense. It's almost superglue yourselves to prayer. Well, let me suggest three quick reasons why this is so. Let me suggest three quick reasons why we should pray. Number one, because prayer is through Jesus Christ and keeps me grateful. Prayer is through Jesus Christ and keeps me grateful. You see, these false teachers going into that church had been trying to say that the way to God was through rituals or through experiences, that it's down to me, that it's down to what I perform or down to what I experience, whereas actually prayer inevitably reminds me that the only way to the Father is through the Son. I can't truly pray without constantly reminding myself of Christ's gloriously sufficient work upon Calvary. When we pray to God, to God the Father, there is only one way we can come, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll remember this story that Jesus told in Luke 18. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, Evil doers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. That's prayer. That is prayer when I realize there is no way I can come to God. There's, I can't come to him and say, well, look, God, because I've been working really hard and I've done this and I've done that. I've had this experience, God. You're going to accept me. No, there is no way we can come to God except through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I come in prayer and when I'm reminded of that, it keeps me grateful. I've been saved. I've been rescued. And it's not of me. It's not what I've done. It's all of grace. It's all of grace. It, it's all of jesus i come in prayer because prayer is through jesus christ and it keeps me grateful but secondly why do i pray secondly because prayer is about dependence and it keeps me humble see these false teachers who were coming into the church at colisee were proclaiming their own schemes they were going into the members of the church and were saying look do what i say Do what I do, and then you'll be fulfilled. Have the experience I had. Follow the regulations that I follow. Then you'll be fulfilled. In other words, the Colossian Christians were being encouraged to look away from Jesus to their own plans and activities. Whereas true prayer is a declaration to ourselves and to God that we just can't do it by ourselves. All our hopes, all our longings, all our dreams for lasting and substantial blessing can only ever be achieved as God does his work. See, here we are, Charlotte Chapel. Significant place in the heart of Edinburgh. Friends, can I just say, Charlotte Chapel will achieve nothing for the glory of God through its own strategies. It will only achieve anything as God himself comes And works and as I'm praying it is actually acknowledging that you see if it was down to us if it was down to what we can do guys what are we doing here why are we here for prayer if it's down to us let's get out there and let's do the work but it's not down to us it's down to him nothing nothing absolutely nothing will be achieved or accomplished without God himself working by his spirit in the hearts and lives of those who dwell in this great city. See, prayer is about dependence and keeps me humble. All too often, I think, we can resemble the Laodicean church. Do you remember those words there in Revelation 3, verses 17 to 20? You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. My friends, that is not a gospel invitation verse. That is not addressed to unbelievers, just knock at the door. No, it is addressed to the church, the church who thinks it's rich, the church who thinks it can do it Or, No, we come in prayer and say, Lord, we can do nothing. That's why we're asking. Lord, come down. Lord, unless you work by your spirit, nothing's going to be achieved in this place for eternal good. My third point, my final point is this. Why do I pray? Because prayer is about relationship and keeps me connected. Because prayer is about relationship and keeps me connected connected. You see, in his letter to the Colossians, Paul goes out of his way to emphasize the relationship that believers have with Almighty God. There is a particular aspect to this letter. Theologians and scholars have noted for us that Paul emphasizes the relational elements. Colossians 1 verse 2, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Colossians 1 1, verse 3, we always thank God the father of our lord jesus christ when we pray for you colossians 1 verse 12 giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light colossians 3:17 and whatever you do whether in word or deed do it all in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father through him it is a particular emphasis in this epistle it is the emphasis upon relationship and of course, when Jesus himself was teaching his disciples to pray, he began with that radical note of relationship. When you pray, say, Our Father. You see, we, we're so used to the Lord's Prayer, we say, well, that's normal. No, it isn't normal. It would have been so radical that Almighty God, the thrice-holy, holy God, should be addressed in such audacious personal terms. You see, our natural instinct is to think of God as totally other. He's so holy, so majestic, so transcendent. But the work of Jesus invites me to know him in relationship. As my father. As my friend. Jim Packer, in his famous book, Knowing God, wrote this. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. You see, in other words, when you've grasped the incredible, gracious position that you now find yourself in as a redeemed, as an adopted child of God, then prayer is radically changed. It's not a duty. It's not an obligation. It's not a religious exercise. It's not even dependent upon how you're feeling or how you're doing. Prayer is the natural overflow of relationship. I occasionally have to be far away from home at various conferences, part of my duties with the FIC, and I'll be separated from Kath, my wife. But we'll be in touch. We FaceTime each other, we email, we send texts, we talk on the phone. I'm very grateful for... Many of the advances in modern technology. And why do we do it? Is it because we've read a book on the habits of successful marriage and communication is at the heart of a successful marriage? Well, look, could I just suggest to you that that wouldn't really go down too well if I rang Kath when I'm somewhere away from home and said, um, honey, I've, I've, I've rung you because the books say I should. Because if I'm to be a good husband, the books say I should regularly be ringing you, so I am ringing you at this point. No, that's not what you do. No. In the immortal words of Stevie Wonder, I just called to say, I love you. And that's why we pray. And that's why we pray in many different ways. And that's why prayer should be natural. It's not about religion, it's about relationship.